I'd be lying to you if I said I wasn't double-fisting cup of coffee and water right now. It's officially episode three, and trust me, I'm a novice. What's up, everybody? Thanks for tuning in. I am your host, Sammy St. Ledger, and this is Trust Me, I'm a Novice, the podcast about connections, talking, science, psychology, spirituality, and ourselves. Again, thank you to everybody that has tuned in. Episodes one and two are up on Spotify, Anchor, and now Apple Music. Yes, I taught myself how to post to Apple Music. That was fun. <laughs> uh, technology. But anyways, <laughs> Mercury's in retrograde, guys. That's all I gotta say. But <laughs> we have a great show for you coming up today. I, for one, just got back from Chicago yesterday. I'm still running around, but the show must go on. Yes. So (laughs) either way, great show coming up for you today. Thank you to everybody that has been giving feedback on episodes one and two. It has been really inspiring to see what people have to say and hearing what they've actually been inspired to do since listening. Enough about me, though. You know the rules. Trust me, trust yourself and trust the process because we're getting started. Coming up on the show today, in honor of the fun weekend I just had in the city, we are talking about going out of your comfort zone, expanding your horizons, and changing your reality when you feel like you are in a slump. Segment two, we are talking about a specific variation in your genetics that can actually account for who you are attracted to and why. It's the science behind chemistry. Ha 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 ha. Bad joke. Okay. Hate it too. Whatever. It doesn't matter. I can't help it. There's like a thing for anybody that has gone to college where, for instance, obviously I went to U of I and we always say ILL. And it's like, even if I don't want to say I and I back, it like kind of like comes out of me like a, I can't help it. <laughs> As that, if you stay for segment three, we are getting deep with the snorkelers and talking about how to be there for a friend in need. This is Trust Me, I'm a Novice. I am Sammy St. Ledger. Ooh, said my last name wrong there. I am Sammy St. Ledger. Let's get things going. Welcome, welcome again. This week, we are kicking things off talking about expanding your horizons. Last week, we talked a lot about maybe feeling stuck during a difficult transition in your life, something a lot of people are going through at every different type of age. Now, given that I had just gone on a fun trip to visit my sister, let's talk about expanding your horizons and what that can do for you as a person. 
Now, I was talking about this with my friend the other day, and we were discussing how sometimes when you are stuck in the same rhythm, say maybe you have been living in the same area for a very long time, maybe you're very busy and you're working this job nine to five, coming home, going to bed, starting it over. When you are studying and you are stuck in school and you feel like you're grinding and grinding and grinding and there is no end in sight, Or when you're going through a difficult time with something and you're in the same environment constantly that you're exposed to it. When we take the opportunity to expand our horizons, what happens is when we get stuck and we're in these same rhythms, sometimes we can think that those rhythms that maybe aren't making us feel so, so enthusiastic about our lives, those rhythms become in our eyes our reality. And sometimes we feel like we're never going to escape and we find ourselves just stuck and unsatisfied with the life around us. When you take the opportunity to expand your horizons, and we'll go into detail, but this can be done in so many different ways, you offer yourself the opportunity to heal if you're going through a difficult time. You offer yourself the opportunity to have fun. You offer yourself the opportunity to find new things to grow. And you might even find that you fall in love with something you never expected. So what does this look like when we are expanding our horizons? The disclaimer is that I think when a lot of people think of expanding or trying new things or doing stuff, there is concerns around money. You might be thinking, Sammy, I get it. I understand, but can't just drop a ton of money and go out to Cancun, (laughs) which is understandable. Everyone from time to time is on a budget. Totally get it. So expanding your horizons, what can it look like, though, in a way that's very practical to a lot of different people? Expanding your horizons basically means that during your free time, try and go out of your comfort zone to any extent. This could mean that you have a day off and you go on a walk because you don't normally go on walks. Or you hang out with a friend that you haven't seen in a really long time. Or maybe you haven't read ever and you pick up a book and start reading. It could mean anything, and I definitely think something to be said, if you can, for removing yourself from your immediate environment to shake things up and to switch things up, because going out, like this weekend, going out and going somewhere new, and especially if you can stay with somebody, that's also a pro tip for saving money. If you're going to travel, if you can stay with the person, that's going to help too. Or maybe even you pack a lunch, don't go out to eat that day if you're on a budget also. But Going out and visiting a relative, for instance, like I said, I was just with my sister and being away, being in a whole new environment can be so, so, so helpful for your mental health. And just like I said, your growth as a human being. As far as this weekend went, obviously I was going through transitions like everybody was coming home from college. I say as I sit in my basement and knowingly that my parents at some point are going to (laughs) launch me because I'm becoming friends with all the boxes down here that I still haven't unpacked. But (laughs) like I said, when you're stuck in these type of rhythms and when you remove yourself, you end up having just such a different time. So this weekend, my friends were awesome and shot me a text that said, hey, your sister, we're going to go visit her. Do you want to come? Because I was on the way for driving. So I was like, absolutely, that sounds great. My mom dropped me off. I went with them. We drove downtown and got to see a ton of different people. And over the weekend, just got to explore a lot of the downtown area, see new things, try new things. And overall, it was just really, really fun and refreshing. 
I got to spend a lot of time outside, got to get some sun, which is really just makes anybody feel great. Don't forget your sunscreen, though. And (laughs) really just being out, being about, doing all these different things makes me realize constantly, time and time again, every time I try something new, that my reality is very, very much what I make it. At the end of the day, you can do what you want with your life. And the more you expose yourself to new things, the more you subconsciously keep encouraging yourself to realize that you have all this different opportunity in front of you. Another interesting thing is that you want to make sure if you're going through life that you don't keep your world too small. Now, I understand that there is absolutely safety when we are within something that is very familiar to us. But familiarity and safety don't often lead to growth that is essential to us becoming our wholest form of a human being. I think about trailing all the way back when I was in high school. I grew up in a really nice area and a lot of nice people, good schools, but it wasn't necessarily super diverse. There wasn't a lot of different culture going on. I didn't get exposed to a lot of things really ever. And I was always comfortable living within that environment as it was all I'd ever known. I didn't necessarily seek out anything or feel like I had to go to these lengths to have new experiences. But it's funny when you consider I had the opportunity to go off to college and four full years in a completely different environment with completely different people and all these different experiences and opportunities made me realize, I want to say I was, it was my first week of college, and I remember it kind of hitting me, wow, there is a lot more to life than my hometown. <laughs> and it was scary. It was super scary. But I didn't even realize what was going on until I removed myself from a reality that I had become so comfortable and complacent with. I remember being ready to leave, But I didn't really understand. I don't even think I fully understood why I was ready to move on and finish that chapter of living down here. It's little things like that that you don't even realize what you're missing until you move into a whole new situation. I was in college for three years and at year three, I ended up being able to go abroad up until the pandemic pulled us back. But that was the first time I was out of the country. And again, being in Europe was a whole different experience because you're sitting there interacting with new people, different languages, all different styles of different things and ways of living. And it hits you again that, oh gosh, there is so much more out there. And I think at the end of the day, you don't want to go through life and realize that you really didn't get to see what was out there. Because when you have those moments of growth, whether it's scary or not, Those are the moments that you really connect to what it feels like to be alive and living. And you don't want to sell yourself short on anything. Because like I said, maybe you go off somewhere new and find out that you want to live your life completely different. Or that there's a whole new job you want to try out. Or a whole new opportunity, a whole new hobby. Don't ever sell yourself short on what's going on. Because at the very least, it might just put you in a good mood and... I mean, most people like to travel, so definitely any type of change is, in the long term, very beneficial, even if initially it seems like too much work, maybe you want to make excuses as to why you can't, oh, you're too busy, oh, this, oh, that. But if you genuinely know that you can make time to mix it up a little bit, 
And again, this could be in any avenue. It could be at home, changing something up, maybe trying a new meal, something like that, testing out cooking. But if you could remove yourself from your environment, especially if you are going through a hard time, it'll really help you realize that what's in front of you is not permanent. And even going off of that, I think it's really important for us to all be super mindful during this time, during the pandemic, during all the different transitions that have been happening, to keep in mind that everything in life is temporary. Everything is temporary. And sometimes it can be overwhelming. You think you're going to be stuck in a situation that never ends. And that could be with any type of circumstance in life. It could be difficult relationships within your family. It could be a job that you don't like, so on and so forth. But most things are temporary. And I like there's this saying, it might have been something I came up with or something that I saw somewhere, but there's this saying that you can't see the big picture when you're way too close. And when we're up close in the midst of something, when something feels so challenging and difficult, we don't see the long-term benefits of what that difficult challenge will cause for us. And it might cause consequences too. It doesn't mean it won't. But when we're so close and we feel so overwhelmed, we don't always understand why difficult circumstances can be necessary and how, at the end of the day, they are still contributing to our growth as a human. One way, again, to get out of that feeling of, maybe this is permanent, I'm stuck, I can't get out of this, is to switch it up, mix it up, do whatever you need to do to help yourself to keep feeling optimistic about life, to keep coming up with new ideas, to wake up and be genuinely excited for the day ahead. And I'm not saying it's going to happen every day. Like I said, uh, double fisting, coffee and water, but... (laughs) When you can, you want to keep encouraging yourself to have that love for life. And one of the best ways to do that is to keep exploring the world around you. All right, that was that was deep. I hope everybody can relate to that. I really hope it can encourage people to test out new things, to see what's going on, to mix it up. But really, I think it can be so beneficial. I've had times where I've just been upset about, oh, who knows? And a while back, I remember my sister being like, all right, Sam, um, book a ticket. You're coming over tomorrow. Just disappear for a hot minute. And now not everyone has that luxury to be able to once in a while just call it a day, take that mental health day, whatever need be. But it is important to at least try and set aside a little bit of time for yourself to do something different when you feel like you're stuck. So your rhythm finally starts changing, mixing, we get some melodies in there, and there's a lot of different things that can really just help with that change that you might not even realize you need until you have. I think sometimes, like I said, with thinking certain things are our reality, I've had a friend mention to me that they were feeling super stuck with what was going on in their life, feeling like they were constantly grinding and working, and they went home for the weekend And immediately we're like, oh my God, yeah, that's not my reality. It's not, I'm not stuck there at all. It just feels like that right when I've been in it for a long time. And they didn't, I don't think really realize that until that happened. And I've definitely had those experiences where you don't even realize you've been feeling a type of way 
until you are out of a situation that is encouraging you to have those feelings of being stuck. Everybody, I hope this week maybe you could prioritize trying something new or planning to do something new, maybe going somewhere, even if it's a new part of town. Definitely, it can help. And hey, like I said with my last episode, you know, it's a good time to try out new things, enjoy life, and mix it up. All right, we are going to take a quick break, but when we come back, we are talking about a specific genetic variation that can determine who you're attracted to. I'm Sammy St. Ledger. Trust me, I'm a novice, and enjoy this music break. I see you dancing. swapping topics we are going from talks about ourselves to talks about science and the interesting science behind why opposites attract i'm sure you've heard that one and i'm sure you've heard an interesting phrase that people are often more attracted to how someone smells than how they look it's weird at first doesn't really make a lot of sense because you think attraction is immediate and if someone smells good but you don't find them attractive, well, that doesn't make any sense. But it's not exactly how they smell in the way that you think. And it has to do with an interesting chemical compound humans secrete called pheromones. So pheromones, as much as we secrete them, we sense them through our nose, and we actually sense it through the Jacobson organ. A pheromone is something that is a form of communication between social creatures. And pheromones are involved in a lot. While you detect them with your nose, you actually can't smell them. Weird. (laughs) Confusing. Yeah. (laughs) Pheromones work in a way, specifically, it has been found that women are a lot more sensitive than men to sensing pheromones. While we talked about men being able to sense ovulation cycles the other week, This is the return now of looking at the other side and seeing how women sense different aspects of men. Now, pheromones, a research disclaimer, I guess, before I get into this, is basically there is a lot of different theories for attraction and there's been a lot of different research conducted. So this is one research theory that they have found a lot of evidence to support. Now, basically what happens is that Pheromones, they found, can actually change a woman's body chemistry. So the pheromones that a man gives off. They found that when women sense pheromones, and often pheromones are secreted through sweat in men. So if you see a guy at the gym and you feel some type of way, uh, (laughs) that's why. No, I'm kidding. Not entirely. But when a woman senses pheromones, 
it increases her well, I guess not so much senses. When a woman detects pheromones, it increases, often unbeknownst to her as well, but it increases sexual arousal, positive emotions, memory, attention. And to even add more evidence to this, there was a study that put sweat from the underarms of guys, which is, you know, gross, but it put sweat on the upper lips of women. Not quite sure how they conducted that. Uh, sounds, I don't know if everyone, uh, I don't know. Uh, do you think you'd sign up for that? Not sure I would. But it found that compared to women that were the placebo, that women that had sweat on their upper lips had lower stress levels. So the other interesting thing about pheromones is that everybody kind of like thumbprints seems to have a different odor. The same way, like I said, everyone has a different thumbprint and everybody has a different invisible smell is almost what I'd call it. The reason they think this might be is because of a thing called an MHC variant. Now, what I'm sure you're thinking, Sammy, we don't know what that is. (laughs) And I know what it is, but also trust me, I'm a novice. I'm about to look it up to make sure. There's an article that goes into detail about this on Time magazine. And the article was written by Mandy Oaklander, and she had the opportunity to interview a scientist that was involved in biology and psychology. He went through and did different experiments. And touched on this subject. The article reads, what element of sweat or of any scent we emit that's picked up by others is driving the attraction is still unclear. Experts believe it may be a bunch of them. People also seem to have one-of-a-kind odor prints or signature smells that we can't help but produce uniquely. That's thanks to something called a major histocompatibility complex, MHC a collection of proteins that regulate the immune system, and maybe even mate choice, say some scientists. According to their theory, you can naturally sniff out a mate whose immune system is optimally different from your own, which could make the immune system of your offspring more diverse, robust, and better positioned to fend off more pathogens. Okay, so what does all this mean? (laughs) First off, MHC variants are involved with how strong your immunity is. And the more genetically diverse someone's variant is, the way more likely you are to produce healthier offspring. So it's kind of interesting that it seems women are better sensors of this because they're the ones who end up carrying babies. It's also interesting because we know often the more diverse somebody is, the better their offspring are in general. Like, Obviously, there's a reason you happen to have kids with people that are very close to you, especially if you are somehow related. You are way more likely to have genetic defects and things like that within your children. The gene pool being huge is very important in all different types of species. I mean, if you look at dogs, for instance, a lot of reasons purebreds ran into problems in the past was because there weren't enough, so they actually had to start breeding ones that were way too closely linked to each other as far as family history goes. So taking a break, trailing back, (laughs) got on dogs for a second. But (laughs) yes, long story short that so this variant specifically, a lot of different women have the ability to sense unbeknownst to them and can really make for an interesting case as to why we are attracted to people that are a lot different than us. Because they might have a type of variant that actually would make us have really, really great kids together. 
Now, I'm not saying if someone's a jerk that you should take this as a wonderful opportunity to defend the fact that they're not good for you. But hey, our, our variants, obviously. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I'm sorry, it's the variants. But <laughs> definitely could be interesting to explain maybe why you have been attracted to certain people in the past and you don't fully understand why. Maybe it has to do something with that. And it's just kind of cool to explain why maybe the old phrase opposites attract actually does have some truth to it, even down to a scientific level. Another really cool finding this article discovered was women on birth control actually were more attracted to people with similar MHC variants. And this was theorized to possibly be because when the body's on birth control, it is in a sense tricked into thinking it is pregnant. And during pregnancy, it makes sense that women would want things that feel familiar or similar to them around them. Now, the interesting implication is it puts into question if birth control could potentially be causing a bit of confusion in seeking out the most effective mates. And then again, now birth control, again, it is totally up to you whether or not you decide to be on it and it has benefits and has drawbacks. But I just think it's interesting that now we've seen two scientific studies, this one and when we talked about the ovulation and the dancers, that for some reason it seemed that the birth control changed pheromones that they were secreting and hormone fluctuations within their body, but it also seems to change their ability to detect different MHC variants. So I just think it's interesting to note even how that changes the body and just consider different implications that it might have. Another thing to note is that they found throughout science, there has been this idea that there might be some type of gene, not only with in terms of relationships, but also with just people in general that Maybe certain genes could subscribe to why people make poor decisions and or, you know, are impulsive or things like that. But there's also definitely speculation and it's untrue that there is any type of gene that could encourage people to cheat or something within their biology. But there is something with MHC variants as far as how it could affect relationships differently. And it was also discovered that the more you share similarities with another partner in terms of your MHC variants, the less sexually attracted and more put off you will be by their or even outside people's advances that also don't have that MHC variant. So if you see someone and you're like, oh my gosh, no, it's a no for me. Maybe it's the MHC variant. (laughs) And also the more likely you will fantasize about other guys and be less aroused by your partner depending on how much they share an MHC variant similarity with you. The thing with this is that there's honestly, I mean, I don't know of any simple way to test the variants within you and your partner, so I'm sure that will not be the sole cause of a lot of like difficulties within attraction and the bedroom all stem from a ton and a ton of different complications. Obviously, it's super complex, but this is just kind of, again, more of an interesting finding to note that it honestly can also come down to a lot of biological reasons as to why you might be feeling a certain type of way. And I find that just honestly fascinating because I don't think many people when they have issues kind of think back to like, but why might this be happening at a genetic level? Long story short though, yeah, 
Shout out to my professor, Mary Ramey, back at the U of I for introducing this topic to me as well. And shout out to Time for the informative article that was super helpful at explaining. And I mean, hey, if I, <laughs> this obviously could explain why your ex was maybe whack, but you liked them a lot. Maybe it's <laughs> or why everybody didn't like somebody that you dated and or didn't understand why you were attracted to somebody. It's it might be the MHC variant. <laughs> I think <laughs> to go off of that as I joke maybe the new it's not you it's me is the new it's not you it's your MHC variant I'm sorry it's gonna be a, a no for me today and uh sorry <laughs> and like maybe it has to do with why you are attracted to a certain celebrity that no one really understands why and you gotta start telling your friends when they make fun of you that like nah 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 no trust me trust me our our kids are gonna be great they're going to be so successful. <laughs> That's why I like them. It's it. It's for the kids. It's for the kids. Come on. Anyways, basically, though, I'm just fooling around. Who knows? Like I said, attraction is so complex, but it's just cool to look at the biology behind this. And I think I might even use it as a scapegoat as to why very, very small Samantha used to be attracted to certain types of people. That made no sense. So... <laughs> Hope we can all laugh about that. I'm sure we've all had weird experiences where we were into people and to this day, no one understands why, but we know why. <laughs> can just help, you know, throw the blame on something once in a while. Nah, I'm kidding. But <laughs> cool to learn about, cool to be interested in, and really just always worth, like I said before, looking at every different level of things going on and just learning more in general. Science is fascinating. Relationships are fascinating. And the science behind relationships, boom blows my mind. So <laughs> we right now are going to take a quick break, but I really hope that you found that interesting. And I hope that again, it is something to talk about and that you know that someone's variant, an MHC variant, if they're super different, you might have some, some great offspring that will be very successful and thrive. So, you know, again, no, <laughs> as far as I know, no easy way to check that, but you never know. And <laughs> We're going to take a quick break. I am your host, Sammy St. Ledger, still drinking as much coffee and water as possible. Your girl is dehydrated and tired, but kidding, not kidding, eh, you decide. We're going to take a break, but when we come back, we are going to get into our relationships with our friends and more specifically, how to be there for a friend, how to be there when they're going through a difficult time different skills to learn, different things to be aware of, and really just how to improve your friendships overall with the one key aspect of friendship that is support. Hope you pack the scuba gear because going snorkeling, we will be right back. I've actually never been scuba diving, but...
are again switching gears. We looked at ourselves, we looked at science, and now we're looking at our friends. Today, when it comes to our friends, and especially during the difficult time that was the pandemic, I think it's really important to note that while we are moving out of this pandemic, it doesn't mean a lot of things people experience during this pandemic are not going to continue to cause them distress. The pandemic caused people to lose loved ones. It caused people to go through really difficult breakups. It caused people to lose jobs. And it just gave a lot of time and stillness that I've noticed brought up a lot of different feelings about things that sometimes you might have breezed over. I've noticed a lot of times that when you slow down, it offers the opportunity for things to come up that you might have been suppressing. And now that things are up, we got to process through them. So either way, yes, the pandemic has caused a lot of pain for a lot of people. And I think it's very important to be there for people as a friend and to either develop these skills or even just be reminded of how to be a great friend and listen to someone when they are expressing a problem they are currently going through. I'm going to start off by first saying I think one of the top pillars of a good deep friendship, a great friendship, is supporting somebody. As I say this, I will acknowledge that there are different types of friendships. There are work friendships, there are party friendships, there are neighbor friendships, but all of those could easily be close friendships. But I think it really, when it comes down to being a good friend to somebody, being able to support them will not only help you get closer, but it is just a wonderful thing that you can bring to a friendship or a relationship with anybody. Obviously, it doesn't just have to be a friend. But... One of the biggest things that it comes to when someone's coming to you with a problem and something that I don't think everyone always realizes is simply listening. If you're a type of personality that likes to try to find solutions and fix things, you might not be as inclined to listen. You might think, oh, there's this big problem. Oh gosh, okay, well, they feel this way, so I think we can do this, this, and this. But in reality, a lot of times when someone's coming to you to talk to you, they genuinely just want you to listen because they're trying to get some emotion, some feeling, some experience off their chest. Now, if we're looking at gender roles, traditionally men are more inclined to be fixers of things or want to fix. So it could be a little more applicable to men, the idea of trying to fix things, but Regardless, you might have a personality type that does make you act that way. So it's just good to be aware of if you have a personality type like that, that listen to this a little bit here and there and just keep in mind that to be aware of this and just know that listening is really the biggest pillar. Thing is, when I say listening, though, what does it look like? How does somebody know that I'm listening to them? How do I show them that I care? You want to be super, super aware of your body language when you're listening to someone. So if I have a friend that just came up to me and said, hey, can I talk to you about something? I lost my job. How I respond to them while they're talking to me is also cueing to them whether or not I care and am paying attention. 
And that can be the difference between them being able to fully open up to me or them shutting down. Body language when we're listening to somebody. Watch your shoulders, your entire body. Where is it facing? You should be somewhat facing them. You shouldn't be obviously turned the other way. Additionally, watch what your eyes are doing. Are you looking at them in the face while they're talking to you? Are you making eye contact? Are you nodding to show that you're listening and that you understand? Watch checking your phone. Watch checking anything that, even if you don't mean to, look like you are completely engaged with them. And if you need to check your phone, say there's something else going on, I would definitely make a note to say, hey, I'm absolutely listening, but I just have to check this super fast and then I am right back in. I definitely care. My apologies. I just have this one thing that I have to double check quick. In addition to this, other ways we can show that we're listening and other skills we can add in when we're talking to somebody and helping them through a problem is open-ended questions. These are questions that basically offer somebody to explore what they're feeling and just offer an ability to open up the conversation. Sometimes when we're upset, we don't even fully understand why. By asking people a question as simple as, well, how are you feeling? Or something along the lines of, do you feel like there's anything you can do about it? What's your goal? Do you feel this moving in a certain direction? There's a lot of different questions that can even just help people to kind of get to the root of what is bothering them as well. And when you ask questions, it can help that person come up with their own solution, which also is a huge component of listening. As much as I know we all like to give advice, you're listening to a podcast about advice where I give you advice, (laughs) but that doesn't mean you, anytime a friend comes to you with a problem that you should feel compelled to give advice, it can be helpful, but also you would never want your friend coming back to you and having made a decision based on your advice and getting upset at you. That being said, does not mean you can't give advice. I've gotten advice that I've used and have been extremely grateful that I used and got that advice. But to be aware also to not always feel like you have to give it if you think your friend can kind of come up with that solution on their own. Another big thing to do is you want to do a thing called paraphrasing. So you probably remember growing up in school, you had to what, read something and then quickly write a summary of it. It's basically that, but with talking. So going off of this example, my friend said, hey, can I talk to you about something? I lost my job. I'm genuinely really upset about it and I'm freaked out about the future because if I don't have a job, I can't pay for school. So if my friend said that to me, I would say back something along the lines of, okay, so you're saying that you're freaked out because you lost your job and if you don't get a job, you're going to have trouble paying for school. And I've had moments where I've talked to friends like this and paraphrased what they were saying back to them. And not only is it validating, but I've had people look at me and be like, Yes, exactly. And like in a way that it felt like, wow, okay, somebody understands. When you're saying their emotions back to them, it is reinforcing what's going on, that they're valid, but also that somebody really understands what's happening. And sometimes when you're upset about something, somebody that will just level with you and get it means way more than anything else in that moment. Another huge thing to remind people of is emotions are valid no matter what they are. And it really helps to tell a friend when they're going through a hard time that how you are feeling is completely valid. It's normal. It's understandable. If I were in that position, I would feel the exact same way. And most people would too. 
Like, it's very good to validate their emotions because someone's emotions, they can't be wrong. And sometimes when people come to people with a problem, if you were to instead be like, hey, well, you shouldn't be sad because of this, it doesn't stop the fact that they still feel sad. So if you tell them that that's okay, it stops them from thinking you're passing any judgment on them, which we absolutely don't want. But it also, again, lets them know that it's okay to feel like that. Because what can also happen is when we're going through a difficult time, we can create even more resistance by getting down on ourselves for being upset about it. And that is just, we kind of spoke about this in an earlier podcast, but that double friction is harmful to the healing process. It's not even, getting down on yourself puts you nowhere. And if you pass any type of judgment on somebody or tell them they shouldn't be feeling a certain type of way, that can cause them to start judging themselves. And you might honestly intensify the problem. So just saying that their emotions are valid is huge. Watch also talking about yourself. Now, this can be hard because sometimes when someone's going through something difficult, if we've had an experience that we feel like could kind of relate, then we might want to bring it up, might want to start talking about ourselves. And that can be difficult because sometimes it's beneficial. Obviously, if someone went through something super, super traumatic and maybe they didn't know you had the same experience, if you open up to them, that could make them feel so much better. Or if say someone went through something super difficult, you went through it and you developed really great coping skills for it and you shared a couple ideas for just coping, that could also be helpful. But you want to be careful about constantly dragging it back to yourself because that's going to over time make that person feel like even if you did it with the best intentions, because a lot of people do that and they do think it's a way of empathizing. But you want to be careful at looking as if you are way more concerned with what's going on with you and you like talking about you. And in turn, you are beginning to kind of minimize what this person is going through. Definitely, that's something to just be aware of. Not that you can't, but the other thing is if the biggest core component of helping a friend through something is listening, we shouldn't even be talking in the first place, let alone talking about ourselves. Also, another thing to note is watch to an extent saying things could be worse because saying things like that, I understand that it can come from this want to look on the bright side, but when you tell somebody it could be worse, it again can make them feel kind of stupid or embarrassed or judged for what they're going through. Everybody has their own thing that they're going through. If you belittle it in any capacity, even if that's not the intention, it can again make them feel not as good about what is happening. Now, it is different to say like, hey, maybe at the end of the conversation, maybe once everything's off their chest, to remind them of a couple things that in the meantime, during this difficult time, they can be grateful for. That's not a bad idea. Encouraging to look on the bright side isn't inherently bad. You just have to be very careful about the way you're going about it. Above all else too, be super, super, super aware and please don't ever use the phrase get over it because <laughs> first off, you could look at that from a comical perspective of like, I, not that I've been told that a ton, but in moments that I've at least heard that or felt implied, I've always been like, wow, gee, I never thought about it like that. Oh, pff, clear solution. Just get over it. <laughs> like It's super, not only, it's not even advice because it's, it's, 
it's something that person probably would like to do and is trying to figure out the steps to accomplish that. But it's also just shows in a certain sense, it does not sound like you care about helping them. You just want them to stop feeling upset. So it isn't also making you upset. So be super, super careful about that and how that can come off. Again, like we were saying, all those different things we want to be careful of. And the reason I was mentioning those is because a lot of those at least will feel to that person like judgment. And if someone's coming to sit with us, you want to keep in mind Some people do not open up easily to others. Some people have no one to open up to. And the last thing we want to do if someone's talking to us about something they're really troubled about is make them feel judged in any way because they will shut down and they will probably stop talking about it to you. They might even be deterred from talking to other people about that problem in the future because of the experience they had. Not that it would be your sole fault or anything in that capacity, but we just want to be super careful about passing any type of judgment, even if we don't mean to, and that's not our intent. And a lot of times it's not our intent, but just be careful about how things can be perceived. Because if we shut someone down, they're probably not going to come back to us. They're probably not going to talk about it ever again to us. And they might not even have the opportunity to just get that off their chest. So You want to show that you're a good friend. You want to not pass judgment and just be there to support that person, especially in those initial moments of when they're coming to you. Because that also means you could even take it as a compliment that that person trusts you enough to confide in you. And there's not a ton of people that most people feel comfortable confiding in. If they picked you, you probably showed some good traits and they probably value your friendship. So I would think It's in a certain sense a bonus too and you can look at it as a good thing that they came to you. So you want to especially understand that they value you as a person so you want to show that you have that equal value and respect to them in the sense and the demonstration that you are willing to just sit and listen. We went into detail with that but what do we do in the future? So we have this experience right going back to the example my friend sat down they lost their job they're upset. While the initial experience is super, super important, afterwards, we don't want to just act like it didn't happen. And now this can depend from person to person, but it's really important that we keep in mind to check in with our friends. And that could look like a lot of different things. That could be a text that just said, hey, I'm thinking about you. I know you had a rough time and I hope today was a little bit better. Or it could be hey, how are you feeling? I know you've been going through a lot lately and I want to let you know I've been thinking about you and that I care about you. And not only that, but little check-ins like that, while sometimes I think people feel awkward, like, oh, they don't want to bring it up. They don't want to remind that person. A lot of times that is just showing that you care about them and it lets them know that they have somebody there to support them. And a lot of times when you're going through something, you just want to know that you have somebody. Going off of that, You could do other things. If you feel like that person has been in the house, what I would describe as wallowing in self-pity in those moments, you want to drag them out of the house. I've had friends that have gone through a hard time and I've known, all right, we got to go do something. Let's go on a walk. Come on, let's go get ice cream. I've showed up at their door and been like, surprise, we're going somewhere. (laughs) Just little things. If you know that friend needs to get out of the house, don't hesitate to take them out, especially if you know, obviously you can't force anything and never do. But if you think it could be helpful, that's also a great way to check in, even if you're not talking about it extensively at all, but just to get their mind off of it. 
And also going off of that, if you know, it's good to keep in mind how your friend is. If you have a friend that really likes to talk about things when they're upset, definitely go over, let them chill. Maybe you're watching a movie, talk about it. You know, let them talk it to death because sometimes that is a great way of working through things that we've been troubled with. But on the other hand, some people don't love to talk about their emotions that constantly. But it still would mean the world that you just came over to watch a movie with them and just existed with them. Because they know then that they have somebody and that feeling is especially comforting too. One more thing to keep in mind, not only like I said is that you can't force it. So like I said, if you have a friend that doesn't love to talk about things, they might not want to talk about it again after they confided in you. So that's all right. But never think that you have to force anything out and never try to because that also is going to lead people to shut down when it comes to what they're going through. They want to feel like they're in a safe space to be able to open up when they feel free. It's kind of on their own time. And not only that, but it goes without saying, I think a lot of people are aware of it, but confidentiality, if someone tells you something, keep it to yourself. Or at least know exactly, if you have to reconfide in somebody else because it bothered you so much, know who you're confiding in. Definitely do not go around spreading other people's business. Goes without saying, but it's a good reminder to just keep it to yourself and know that doing that will make them trust you and even appreciate you more because not everybody is amazing at keeping things to themselves and it's really important that we do that if someone trusted us with their own information. All right, so one more thing I want to note, though, while we are talking about confidentiality, and obviously you should not spread somebody else's business and personal issues, it is important to note that confidentiality should be broken only in the case of something very, very, very serious that would be deemed an emergency. So really quick trigger warning, if you are sensitive to discussion on self-harm, please skip to 50 minutes and 30 seconds. If somebody were to bring up the serious matter of taking their own life, that's where that person needs help. They need to see someone immediately and it is an emergency because their life is at risk. So keep in mind that that is a situation where confidentiality would have to be broken for the sake of saving that person's life potentially. Just wanted to also make sure we understood that if it is something that could be a genuine emergency to that person, that's when we'd break it. But besides that, if someone's confiding in us, obviously... We want to keep that to ourselves. Last but not least, one more thing to keep in mind if you're super, super empathetic is to not internalize. And that means when someone tells me about their problem that I take it in, it upsets me and I make it almost like it's also my own problem. This happens a lot when you are a very sensitive and empathetic person. I have not struggled with it a ton, but I've had a couple moments where Someone's told me something and I have felt so sad for them for a couple days. And I have to remind myself that it's not my problem, even if I have so much empathy for that person. When you internalize someone else's problem, not only is it a disservice to you in the sense that it's not your problem. You have your own problems. You still have to prioritize yourself and your mental health first. But you're not going to be as helpful to that person if you are so upset by their problems because then they're going to start feeling like they can't confide in you and you don't want to make someone feel like that either. Just know that it's their problem, not yours, but you can be there to support and love them and really be good to them. But just make sure that you don't fall into the trap of letting other people's emotions and what they're going through make you feel upset 
Because again, we are there, you want to think of it in a very positive way that they're going through something, but you know what? You can support them and help them. Not that they're going through something and now it's a burden on you because that's going to make both parties feel really, really just worse, honestly, plain and simple. So just be very careful about internalizing. Doesn't mean sometimes, again, it doesn't happen, but just try to monitor yourself and understand that you can't fix anybody's problems, but you can be there to listen. And by no means can you fix everybody's problems. That's a whole nother topic, but that was deep. But thank you to everybody that stayed tuned. It was a little bit longer, but I think we had to hit a lot of different points. When it comes to that topic, it is super important. So I hope you can take that back, share it with your friends. And in the meantime, this wraps up episode three. Give me a follow on Instagram at Trust Me, I'm a Novice. DM me with any type of feedback if you just want to talk, if you want to say hi, if you want to send me memes, you know, the whole whole shebang. But... (laughs) We will be back next Tuesday with episode four. I am Sammy St. Ledger, as usual. Trust me, because I'm a novice.